Just with the scent of potpourri Film to commit to memory Crossing the felt roads Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see Tell me I view obsessively. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly podcast that reviews one or two new release titles every episode with an occasional free-for-all segment at the end that we call Potpourri. You can find more of our work, including written reviews, full episode show notes, and the complete backlog of our episodes at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also write into the show at uh, by emailing matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you'd like to support us and get access to hundreds of exclusive episodes, you can join our patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer where you can get access to content at any of our tier levels on a recurring monthly subscription basis or you can buy individual collections a la carte in the patreon shop section uh this week on patreon um i will have a by the time you guys are listening to this i will have already had an exclusive full-length episode where i'm running down all the winners of this year's ifga awards uh uh winners um (laughs) So that'll be on uh, the Patreon this previous Monday, uh, if you're listening to this day of release. And then I also have several Patreon potpourri episodes, which are full-length episodes covering movies I watch for awards and top 10 list consideration. There's also a plethora of Stephen King uh, book reaction recordings and series and TV uh, and uh, uh, other TV reaction stuff. Uh, Coming up in the next year, I'm going to be doing Flanagan Fridays, which is where I review something uh, Mike Flanagan related on every Friday evening. And then I'll have Sci-Fi Saturdays, starting out with Foundation Season and two episode reviews. So all of that's on Patreon. Once again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And uh, yeah, I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media, which includes Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer and on TikTok at OV Podcasts. And in our feature review this week, we'll be reviewing the new Yorgos Lanthimos uh, film Poor Things, which opens in theaters December 22nd. And for our secondary review, we'll be reviewing uh, Emerald Fennel's uh, sophomore feature, Saltburn, which played in theaters in November and will be available to stream on Amazon Prime beginning tonight, if you're listening to the day of release, December 21st. And we also have some new stuff we'll talk about. But before we're doing all that, uh, I got to introduce my guest. Uh, joining me tonight is my friend and IFGA colleague, Mitch Ringenberg, whose work can be found on MidwestFilmJournal.com. And you can also follow him on Letterboxd at Letterboxd.com slash Wounded underscore Kite and on Twitter slash X slash Elon Musk's Midlife Crisis Platform. Uh, at wounded underscore kite as well uh welcome back to the show mitch and thank you for giving me a reason not to watch wonka um how have you been yeah happy to serve and uh yes. glad to be back on the podcast um i've been doing great you nice. know uh, as we kind of talked you know before mm-hmm. the show uh just catching up on a lot of the year-end films yes and, um i felt like actually this was a particularly strong kind of like end of year slate um Mm -hmm. usually this kind of time makes or breaks sort of the the movie year yes i I have found and uh, i thought this was a pretty strong one overall oh yeah there's been some that like i like i've been uh texting mike uh co-host is on sabbatical um who like we we've been texting back and forth about just movies and stuff like we always do but like uh, I like I keep texting and saying like, 
yeah, uh, Oppenheimer just dropped on my list uh, because something else kind of just bumped it up or bumped bumped it from from that. And like, I think uh, spoiler for our main review tonight. I mean, poor things. I think I think poor things is going to end up just uh, like taking Oppenheimer maybe out of the top ten, um, which is crazy, crazy. Yeah, uh, not to spoil my thoughts either, but yeah, Poor Things is my number one currently nice. for the year. So um, I was really excited to talk about that tonight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Oppenheimer, I really enjoyed. I think it's still mm-hmm. in my top 10. Um, I've it, It's one that I can really see going up or down on a mm-hmm. rewatch, and I'm really dying to rewatch it. Same. Problem is, like so many movies uh, these days, it's three hours long, so it's <laughs> yeah. hard to kind of like, it's, it's kind of hard to prioritize it and squeeze yeah. it in when there's like, always something else you can be watching absolutely and like my whole thing has been like okay well the awards like we're recording this uh december 14th um the awards consider like the awards meeting that we're having for the ifj is this saturday so like after that we'll have like a week or two of the rest of the year and i'm like i'm weighing like okay there are certain movies that i haven't seen yet that i'll need to check out but also I need to revisit some things to kind of reassess where they end up because Oppenheimer I haven't seen since July. And I don't know if my memory has just gotten a little bit unkind toward it. And not that it's bad, not that I dislike it at all. I love that movie, but I don't know. I don't know if there's a recency bias with it dropping down uh, out of the top 10, basically. Yeah, I, um, I, it's funny. I was just kind of looking back at some of my year end lists mm-hmm. from you know the previous five or six years when I really started making those in earnest. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny, like looking back, like a lot of movies I have like in my top three, I'm like, I haven't thought about that movie since then. Yeah. And some movies that um, I've grown to love and appreciate so much, like, maybe weren't even in my top 10 that year or mm. were like near the bottom. That's the kind of thing about like top 10 lists. I, I almost, as I've gotten deeper into uh, writing about movies, talking mm. about movies all the time. Um, well, I've always talked about movies all the time, yeah. but that, as I've, as I've gotten older, I feel like rankings are fun. Star ratings are fun, but I also feel like they're kind of bullshit. Too. Yeah. You know, you know then- what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And like my the the big thing that I have in my brain is like I need to I need to constantly remind myself that these are these are rankings, these are ratings in the moment. Like a top 10 list is a top 10 list of the year. Like if I were to go back and like reassess, like I think I had the whatever the um ah uh, the Christian Bale movie is it Scott Cooper? Is that the guy's name? um out of the furnace out of the furnace i had that on my top 10 that year um yeah i remember that movie yeah and the first time anyone's mentioned that movie (laughs) i know and that's the thing i actually like i took some time like in the last few months um and i i just like on a whim made like this private letterbox list where i went through all of my top 10 lists from that i have on file and like i just added the titles in those in those top 10 lists that I've only logged once that I've only seen one time just to see how many top 10 movies do I have like on record that I've only seen the one time. Um, it's a lot. I think it's like maybe 20. Well, I don't know if a lot is necessarily it. I don't know how many there were, but like there's a lot where I'm like, 
yeah, I don't know if it would make the list. I, I had freaking Elysium on, on one in 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That, yeah. there's, a, there's a director who's really fallen, <laughs> continued to fall from grace. Yep, yep, yep. Although I did have a movie this year that people kind of like, mildly defended i guess yeah yeah i wasn't too hot on it gran turismo um yeah yeah I didn't yeah see it, yeah it's i mean it's 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 fine it's it, the problems that i had with it were script based um in terms of visual like the visual representation of the racing like he does some interesting things by like implementing like visual things from the video game into it um, but aside from that, just the story wasn't there. It, and there were some, it just didn't work. Wait, so Matt, you're telling me Neil Blomkamp made a movie with impressive and unique <laughs> visuals, but a terrible script? That I, first time for right. everything. First time for everything. <laughs> um, but before we get too in the weeds and everything with all of this, I did want to highlight some of your work and everything. So, uh, I wanted to ask, like, I've been, I've been mentioning this on the podcast the last few weeks. Um, but over at Midwest Film Journal, uh, there is an ongoing series on the work of Samuel L. Jackson. Have you, or do you have anything on that series? I did not. I missed that one. Okay. I think the last one I contributed to was a couple months ago with uh, the David Cronenberg. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, rundown, uh, which, you know, they're not going to do a Cronenberg series on Midwest Film Journal without <laughs> without old Mitch, sure. you know, having his say. Uh, I wrote about a history of violence for that oh, one. Oh, nice. Uh, tried to do like one of his more like unconventional mm-hmm. um, or I guess like less, you know, stereotypically like Cronenbergian. Right. Um, so that's I one really of the few that. that I've seen. He's, he's one that I have some blind spots on. Um, oh, nice. yeah, yeah. I, and, and this is something that we'll talk about a little bit with poor things too. He's one of those filmmakers that I, they're kind of intimidating to me because I like, I like growing up and coming of age as a movie fan, I was more reticent toward, uh, like, like shielding myself from like, very aggressive body horror or like grotesque things because like i'm uh just a little a little scared little boy um but so like any idea of like weird crazy stuff that has potential to like really stick with me i'm like afraid of um so i've kind of i've kind of i've kind of steered away from some things and like it's one of the reasons why like Yorgos Lanthimos is one that I have some blind spots in that I, I kind of get a similar vibe from him. That's just kind of like weird. They're um, both typically like very cold filmmakers. Yes. And it's fi- funny you bring that up because I had like the absolute opposite impulses as oh, a nice. young movie lover. I always um, was always a real sicko and mm-hmm. towards things that were as violent and weird <laughs> as possible, which has, you know, as a result done irreversible damage to my psyche. But, you know, <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. Eventually, I'll get to that level too. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've just I've just damaged my psyche with just just the run of the mill social anxiety and right. and second guessing of myself. So um, sure. yeah, sure. Uh, but recently on Midwest Film Journal, you have reviewed Poor Things and Thanksgiving. Uh, unfortunately, neither of which I have read. I'm I apologize. Um, no worries. I haven't had a chance to. I wanted to read the uh, your Poor Things review uh as prep for this but 
uh, I watched Saltburn immediately after work today because I had this thing where last night I watched Poor Things and then I was like, okay, I I have to go in the office tomorrow. Um, I can go to bed kind of late tonight. I can fit in Saltburn and then go to bed late and then uh, and then and then just be really really tired at work. And then I was like, well. That doesn't make any sense. Why don't I just go to bed and then go home after work and watch the movie during like normal hours, like a normal person. <laughs> um, right. And then sure enough, I got kind of distracted. So, uh, so I like finished the movie like an hour ago, basically. So, um, yeah. Nice. It'll be fresh in the mind. And yeah, exactly. I just reviewed four things, uh, Thanksgiving, both movies I really liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually have a review of American fiction, um, that I already wrote, uh, but it's running next week as well. Nice. Release. Yeah. Very nice. Cool. Um, how is American fiction? That's one I haven't circled back to on during award season. Uh, mild recommendation. Okay. Uh, nice. It has, it's a, a very tonally odd movie. It's mm-hmm. like a mix of for better or worse. Uh, it's very ambitious, but it's a mix of like for better or worse, like really wild, like Spike Lee flavored, like satire. That's like very okay. aggressive and in your face and like laugh out loud, funny. Mm-hmm. And that's the best aspects of the movie. And mixed with almost like very maudlin, like, you know, saccharine, like, lifetime tyler oh. perry like family drama that like okay didn't work as well for me <laughs> uh they really clash in a way that i just that didn't totally gel for me but like that said like it's trying to do a lot of things and like for me if when you see a movie that is trying to juggle so many themes and so many different like uh you know so many different tones and storylines like to me at least i'm like i would rather see that like an ambitious Mm-hmm. this fire than something that is just like the same thing i've seen a million times so yeah. i i would say i'd say it's worth watching if not entirely successful nice maybe i'll squeeze it in before the end of the year um yeah. jeffrey yeah. wright and sterling k brown mm-hmm. are both like incredible in the movie as well and uh, i don't doubt that for i both of them are like they're two of like my top performers in general so amazing. yeah yeah, yeah so, so so just to see them get a much needed spotlight mm-hmm. i think it is worth the seeing alone nice nice um so yeah so you can find mitch's work on midwestfilmjournal.com i'll have links in the show notes and everything of course i also keep forgetting to mention every week that we are on youtube now at least in audio form so youtube and youtube music uh basically all the podcasts are on there so if you want another way for us to notify you anytime there's a podcast that is uploaded uh go subscribe on youtube um and and uh and yeah subscribe and hit that little bell icon um but yeah very excited about that i might start posting stuff on youtube i'm not sure just basically cross posting the tiktok stuff over there so check that out uh link in the show notes for the youtube page um before we get to our poor things review mitch i do have a couple of news items to to kind of just talk about to get your uh your take on um if you'll indulge me for just a moment um all righty so First is that we're we're recording this two two nights after I recorded last week's episode, which came out last Thursday, which was today, if like in the current timeline. So anyway, um, uh, on that episode, like news broke that Andre Brower had passed away, um, which is 
very sad like it, it's one of those celebrity deaths that kind of just i it just it, it 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 stings it's one of those that stings but um it was uh, announced today or uh, additional details came out that he passed away from a, a, a after a short bout with uh, lung cancer um and there i just kind of wanted to get your take on like andre brower's career um any standout performances or uh any any fond memories of him as a as an actor yeah so you know i i'm remiss to say that i actually have only maybe seen like two or three episodes of brooklyn Nine. oh wow i know it's a very beloved show and i know he gave one of his you know career best performances mm-hmm. you know over the course of that show so um i i have i'm not super familiar with kind of what he's most known for um however you know maybe it's appropriately with your stephen king uh you know, um, your love for Stephen King. Yes. <laughs> um, when I, when I think of him, I think of him in the mist. Uh, Absolutely. Is a highly underrated and underseen in general, uh, mm-hmm. Stephen King, um, film that actually took me too long to get to. I didn't see it in theaters because mm-hmm. a bunch of my friends who, uh, were very wrong in this, they all saw it. <laughs> and they, It was horrible. Oh God. Uh, they, went, they went and saw it in theaters and that I shouldn't see it. So I just, I had read the novella and I was like, oh, I guess I just won't see it. And mm-hmm. then I caught up with it a couple of years later and loved it. Loved um, Andre Brower's performance in yeah. it as well. You know, I mean, love that movie, but um, that is really honestly the only thing that really stands to mind. Mm-hmm. I know, or comes to mind when I think of him. Um, however, I really know that he was kind of note noteworthy because he balanced like, you know, he was kind of a master of like these comedic performances yes. as well, as, like, heavy dramatic performances. And that, that's awesome that he was able to kind of exhibit that range in his career. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, he was also another Stephen King connection is that he, uh, I haven't seen this, but in the, I don't remember when it was, like when it was, uh, but I think it was the nineties, the, or maybe early two thousands. Um, the, uh, the Salem's lot, um, adaptation it might have been the one with um rob Lowe, but he played matt burke um in that and like rereading salem's lot a couple of months ago i like i knew that in my mind i was like he's like i need to go watch that like soon because then like he like that is the type of role that i think he he probably nailed um and then on the mist front today i've just been thinking about this i don't know if you've read duma key uh by stephen king I have not, okay. but I know what it is. Okay. So for the listeners, the Duma Key is a story about a guy who uh, suffers a horrible accident. A, a crane drops on his truck with him in it. He has a couple of amputations and phantom pain. And like he's, he ha- like he's, he's basically uh, has, has some brain damage as well. So he goes, he, like he's very well off. He goes to uh, Florida uh, buys a little a little beachfront house and uh, crazy Stephen King stuff starts happening, um, including uh, him him painting the future through his phantom arm. Uh, very cool, very gothic horror. It's very very interesting. Um, but the central characters of that there's this there's this uh, kind of friendship between the main character whose name is escaping me right now, but, uh, and then this guy named Jerome Wireman. Um, 
they have this bond throughout it. And for like today, I think I've had this thought before, but like today, especially, I was just thinking like, that would have been, it would have been like in another universe, it would have been amazing to see like someone adapt Duma Key and cast uh, uh, um, Thomas Jane and Andre Brower to kind of reunite them from the mist uh, uh, for, for that. Like, and obviously now that'll never happen, but um, I just thought that that would have been, I don't know. That's just what's been mulling around my brain today. So, yeah. Yeah. They, they had great chemistry. Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, I actually did not even know the plot of Dumaki. That sounds oh, yeah. really fascinating. I was a Stephen King junkie when mm-hmm. I was in middle school and high school, and I poured through his 80s, 70s and 80s stuff. Nice. Uh, some of his 90s stuff. <clears throat> and unfortunately, like, huge blind spot for me is basically anything Stephen King has written in the past 20 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've read I, some of it, but yeah. I, I'm, there's a there's a lot, like I most of it I have not read. Okay. You know? Have you read 112263? I have not. Okay. I also know that's the one that people say is like maybe the best one he's written in the past 20 years. I will say it is the, it is my favorite book. Just... There you go. Oh. Favorite book. Okay. <laughs> All right. Consider that ordered yeah. on Amazon. Yeah, tonight. it's nice. It okay. is yeah. it's it's magic. And I just it's I mean it's the it's the melding of two of my favorite things, Stephen King and time travel. I mean I, I will make that a priority for nice. uh, my my reading list because nice. uh, I'm always I, I've been wanting to get jump back into the world of Stephen King just because mm. I feel like it'll be the boot shot of nostalgia that I'm <laughs> yes always searching for (laughs) yes and uh and he's he's great as as i like to say we stand a king um but yeah but check out tower junkies if you haven't already listeners but um (laughs) a couple other news pieces i want to just throw out there is one i don't i i've never watched curb your enthusiasm um which is a big, huge blind spot for me, but it was announced today okay. that it's ending with season two or season 12. Jesus, uh, season 12. Um, have you, you're a fan, huge fan, yeah. huge fan. I I've watched uh curb your enthusiasm since, I mean, my dad is a huge fan mm-hmm. of the show. I remember being 10, 11 years old and laying in bed. Um, where my uh, at the time my my room was on like the main floor of the house, mm-hmm. and I remember laying in bed and just hearing the theme song, which is like this <laughs> goofy tuba mm-hmm. like uh, music all the time, um, like almost every night, like or every you know once a week on HBO. My dad watching like the new episodes, and nice. I, I got really into it in high school. Um, and yeah, I'm a huge fan. I know that. Uh, Larry David has to be pretty deep into his seventies at this. I think so. Yeah. At, at this point, um, and so you know, obviously he's he's worked on this show for almost twenty five years. Yeah. Um, it will be like the twenty fifth anniversary um, come next year when mm-hmm. this final season airs. So I mean, that's an incredibly long time to uh, have such an amazing show, and it really never lost steam. I mean, nice. there's some seasons that are not as great as others, but I mean, even at, you know, it's even it's weakest seasons were still better comedy than, you know, most things you see on TV. And how, mm-hmm. how many, how many shows can you really say 25 years in, even if those seasons were released 
so sparingly, right? Right. Um, are still that strong. Yeah. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So I'm excited to go back and watch as much of it, uh, all of it really eventually. But, um, yeah, so that was news that broke today. And then finally, the final thing I want to bring up before we get into our poor things review is just real quick. Did you watch the trailer for Civil War by Alex Garland that is opening in theaters April 26th? I did. I did. <laughs> how did you feel about it? And how do you feel about Alex Garland? I loved Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved his collaborations with Danny Boyle. Oh I my mean, God. That, yes. That's, that's that. I honestly, like I can't even like the beach. All right. Like, like <laughs> the, the movie, I haven't read his novel, sure. um, but I, I love his collaborations with Danny mm. Boyle. I mean, those, those probably remain my favorite things that he's been a part of. Um, I loved Ex Machina as well. I mean, it's basically like the best black mirror episode. Oh my God. Yes. Your episode. Yeah. Um, Annihilation. I thought was, a very fascinating movie that uh, I need to rewatch because I still was like, I'm not sure if everything cohered for me in like mm-hmm. a satisfying way. Um, did not see devs. Um, devs is very cool. I would like to watch devs. Yeah. Uh, re- I think I hated Ben. Like, <laughs> and not for any yeah. of the stupid, you know, uh, male rage reasons that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of like, you know, incel youtubers probably <laughs> right. um i just found it to be incredibly like i found its messaging to be very obvious and heavy-handed yeah i felt like i watched the trailer and that was the movie you know mm. um some really striking imagery but it all added up to pretty much nothing for me yeah that's that's a movie that i i think i've only seen it once um, I should probably revisit it. It was fine. Uh, two, <laughs> two amazing, um, two amazing, uh, letterbox reviews that I've read that I always think about. One is just some, some person. It's like the top rated one, uh, or the most liked one. It's, uh, this was so scary. I'm glad British people aren't real. Um, and then, <laughs> and then my personal favorite was a one star review that I thought this was just so perfect. Someone put very cool, Alex, hope she sees this, um, <laughs> which is just, it is, it's beautiful, but, but yeah, really I'm kind of in the same boat. Like his, his collaborations with Danny Boyle are some of my favorite movies, like 28 days later, sunshine. Those are. <laughs> no shade to the beach but those are desert island movies for me those are movies that i like i can and have watched multiple times i will never get sick of i have record I, I recorded a patreon a patreon exclusive like commentary track for sunshine uh years ago but it's like those those movies are incredible and ex machina is j- like you said it perfectly it's it's the best black mirror episode <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then it's just kind of been a little bit of diminishing returns, I guess. Annihilation was unique and interesting, but didn't, isn't something I go back to like Ex Machina or anything. I really liked devs the one time I saw it. And I feel like that is a little bit more in line with like what he was doing with Ex Machina. So you might be into it. Um, and then men. Yeah. So what did you think of Civil War? (laughs) So 
it, honestly, I'm getting some, I mean, although the movies look, you know, narratively to be completely different, I'm getting some of the worries I had watching the men trailer, watching mm-hmm. this civil war trailer where the message is the movie. Like in men, it felt like one long dream sequence, right? Where I'm like, yeah. I don't feel like there's any characters here. I feel like I'm just watching one long visual metaphor that mm-hmm. is, I can't watch that for an entire movie. This feels, the problem is if somebody told me, told you like, hey, Matt, they're making an A24 movie about a modern day civil war. This trailer is exactly what you would think. Yeah. They would yeah. be making. And there's nothing more to it. Like, does it look pretty impressive from like a ta- uh, like a craft level in mm-hmm. terms of like visuals? And, um, you know, Alex Garland is obviously a really gifted director. Yeah. For sure. But it just seems like the most obvious yeah. version of what you would think this movie would be. And again, it's only a trailer. So I'm hoping there's something more to it maybe that they're not right. showing us. But... I, you know, I, I watched it and I go, wow, this is like maybe, you know, in terms of sheer scope and scale, this might be the most uh, ambitious thing he's ever done. Yeah. And yet the movie also seems like somehow, somehow that also results in like maybe the least interesting looking story. Yeah. It doesn't look like there's anything extra involved. Like it's uh, no additional layers to it. It's just, it, (laughs) this might be very... I don't know. I don't know. How, I don't know how this will play. But basically, my the thought that I had while watching the trailer was that it reminded me a lot of like I don't know how into video games you are or anything, but like back in the day when the first like Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two I think came out, and like you saw like oh my god in that in that game like Russia invades the U.S. and like we're we're play like we're playing call of duty like in america and that's so what like we're holding down like a like a fast food restaurant thing and it's like that that was interesting and it was like oh my god the shock of that was like oh my god we're on u.s soil in this game it's war that is the vibe i got from the civil war trailer and that's all i got from it was that it's just unique in that this is the extrapolation of like the current political climate we're in brought to the extreme, but like to what end? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. I think in our group chat, there were two interesting Mm -hmm. things. One was um, Brent uh, sent a uh, tweet from like the Toronto film critic, Josh Lewis, who I'm Mm -hmm. a big fan of. And his tweet was simply watch the trailer for Alex Garland civil war. And it seems to, and it reminds me that even though we're called the United States, yes. we're more divided than ever. And like, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's like, just it's like so great. that really, it's, that tells you everything. Yes. It's such a brilliant tweet. Cause it was like, absolutely. It's just like, it, yeah. And <clears throat> also when Nick said it looked like a little exploitative. Absolutely. Like our current moment. Yep. I, I agree. Um, I think he, he said that it looks like the liberal equivalent of like the conservative, like anti-woke movies. Like, oh, that's what I said. Yeah. Oh, I that's what that. you said. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I said, uh, you know, those like, I'm sure like daily wire production yes. or whatever, where it's like, where it's like in a future, 
uh, where <laughs> everyone must wear masks and you can't leave your house. Like kids can be cats work. in school. Yeah, this is like the uh, this trailer makes it look like the you know yeah like the liberal or mm-hmm. I guess like you could just say like say centrist even a, a yeah. equivalent of that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping there's more to the movie than that. Me too. But boy, it, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. It just felt a little exploitative and yep. reductive and uh, yeah I yeah don't i don't know i i, I want to believe in alex garland so, same here uh, same here yeah. i yeah uh it's gonna be covered on obsessive viewer that's my pledge it's on the docket we're gonna review it i don't like it'll be something hopefully it's good but yeah yeah maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll talk about it together yes yes <laughs> absolutely (laughs) yes um but having said that once again civil war is opening in theaters uh april 26th um yeah do you want to get into our feature review for the evening mitch let's do it man all right so for the listener obviously we're going obviously if if this is your first time listening we're going to do a non-spoiler review of poor things and then we'll go into a spoiler a section that will be um, punctuated by a clip from the trailer. I have uh, timestamps in the show notes of the episode, which you can find in your podcast app that you're listening to this on, or you can go to obsessiveviewer.com slash OV407 to navigate the timestamps to avoid the spoiler section. But for right now, we're going to go into non-spoilers for poor things. Uh, It is opening in theaters December 22nd, uh, which is tomorrow. Um, if you're listening to this day of release. The plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, is the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist Dr. Godwin Baxter. Uh, Director for this movie was Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, Writer was Tony McNamara, based on the novel by Alastair Gray. And the cast includes Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, and Rami Youssef. So Mitch... I had originally had on the docket to review Wonka this week, and then you so graciously uh, sent me a message and was like, hey, I've been dying to talk about poor things. Uh, Can I please come on the show? And I'm like, thank God, yes, Um, (laughs) because I have little to no interest in watching Wonka. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so let's kick off this review by kind of talking about Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, for me, I, he's like, I put in my letterbox review that there's something really usually off-putting to me about his style. Like he can be interesting. He can be unique. He can be very, very out of the box, but the movies of his that I've seen, just fill me with this sense of discomfort throughout it and unease. And I just don't like that feeling. It is such a weird, a weird thing for me to watch that. Like I saw Dogtooth and that movie is so weird, but it's like, it's weird. Yeah. Weird and dark. And like when I, when I kind of got to the point like early on where I'm like, Oh, this is what, this is a weird, like sheltered kids sort of, insulated thing and i'm like this is weird and then like by the end i just felt very just i can't i i can't really i can't really put it into words but i can't really articulate it but like i just felt uneasy and then same thing with the killing of a sacred deer jesus christ um and then the favorite i thought was a lot more 
accessible and interesting and funny and enjoyable. Um, and I haven't revisited it since. So how do you feel about Yorgos Lanthimos? And why am I um, wrong? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, you're definitely, you're not wrong. I mean, everything, <laughs> I don't even think Yorgos Lanthimos himself would argue with mm-hmm. you about how you, those movies make you feel. And um, I, I am, I am a big Yorgos Lanthimos fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has not made anything that I have not liked. Uh, nice. I love Dog Tooth, love the lobster. Um, I'm even the pretentious asshole who liked <laughs> killing a sacred deer. Um, loved the favorite. And mm. honestly, you know, he's um, a director that, oddly enough, I think as his films have become more accessible in mm. a lot of ways. I mean, between the favorite and this, mm. um, I feel like he's actually kind of getting better. Almost. Um, And even though I've already loved what he is doing in the past, Mm -hmm. but uh, he's responsible for some of my favorite movies of the past decade, um, including The Lobster and The Favorite, probably being the two ones that I really loved. Um, I love the way that he his movies play with social mores in um, these really fascinating ways. And uh, I think almost all of his movies are just very, very, very dark comedies. even including dog tooth honestly and there are movies that are almost these social experiments where you know in the case of dog tooth like what if two kids were raised like with no exposure to the outside world and their rules were total nonsense created by their parents and the lobster like what if people had to find a partner Mm -hmm. and if they you know if they had this cutoff date where they couldn't find a partner something bad would happen and You know, you could say that for, to a degree, even the favorite, every one of his movies is a social experiment. Mm. This is kind of like the ultimate social experiment, this this movie. This is a literal experiment, right? (laughs) Running amok in society. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing kind of um, this living experiment, uh, Emma Stone, kind of bounce off of people and yes. kind of confound people. And I just thought that was just such a, a beautiful um, sort of like logical endpoint to his sort of obsession with that, with that kind of theme of like experimenting mm-hmm. with different like um, social tropes and things like that. Absolutely. So what you're saying is that next up for Yorgos Lanthimos is a Marvel movie. He's going to go into the Marvel machine. <laughs> I, I, you know what? If they gave Yorgos Lanthimos the most complete creative control over uh, a superhero movie, I would. That would be so weird. I would be, I would be there for it. It would be weird, but yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, But yeah, but poor things like unexpectedly, like it blew me away. I I was very impressed, and I can. I I never saw the lobster. I do need to go and watch the lobster though, because that does seem like the kind of movie that I would be into in terms of it. Like my understanding of it is, I feel like I would get a lot out of it in terms of the interpersonal relationship dynamics that it probably explores in terms of like finding someone and and being with someone in romantic relationships or any kind of connections made like that stuff that I eat up. Um. In fact, like today, when you guys are listening to this, uh, tomorrow, the new rom-com, Anyone But You, comes out. So that's what I'm there for. But um, but no, <laughs> I'm just, I'm genuinely excited for that movie, though. <laughs> I just, I don't think it'll be good, but I just love a good rom-com. But anyway, um, the way that 
I, I don't know. So his, I, I always kind of feel like I'm messing up his last name, but Lanthimos's, Lanthimos's. Uh, I think it's like, yeah, Lanthimos. Lanthimos. That's how I've heard it. Okay. Down. Yeah. Lanthimos, his, his exploration of just humanity, if you, if you can just paint with that broad of a, of a brush with it, is so unique because of his style. And here in Poor Things, I love that it is, it is like a, a wider, like evolution for Emma Stone's character. It is an evolution of her from literally like, not like basically being a child to an adult and coming of age. And while she's doing that and she's learning all of these things about society and the, and the way things work, um, she, like her experiences are funny in that she doesn't know how to act. She doesn't know like the social norms and everything of the day or, or what is, what is acceptable or not acceptable or anything. And that's funny, but also it's like a reflection of like how, how like ridiculous certain things are in like day-to-day life. And it's, and it's also just a freaking beautiful movie. Like, God damn the oh, yeah. visuals! Like it, uh, it, this is like the least weird, but also pro, like premium weird Lanthimos on screen. Uh, if I can be completely contradictory, um, I, I know what you mean yeah. because as a story, it is actually oddly accessible, mm-hmm. um, despite being uh, filled with what you know graphic sex and a lot of grotesque imagery um and yet on like in many ways it's also his weirdest movie by far oh yeah Um, and you know i think when i reviewed this for midwest film journal i messaged uh you know our editor nick and Mm -hmm. i said honestly i think i could write a 1000 word review on like 10 different aspects of this movie. Like, <laughs> nice. like, I, like, like I could have 10 different reviews that are all saying completely different things. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's not often you get a kind of pansexual steampunk mm-hmm. Victorian feminist comedy, which is what poor things is. There's Absolutely. Really, <laughs> there's really nothing else like it. Yep. Um, so yeah, there, there's a ton to dig in uh, about this movie. I'm Absolutely. Yes. And I'm excited to have you on for it because this is just, like so many different dynamics at play, like whether it's the paternal uh, relationship between Willem Dafoe and Emma Stone in the movie, uh, or if it's the the duality of the kind of romantic nature of Mark Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo versus uh, Rami Yusuf's relationships with her, and how those are completely different and completely approaching different, like like approached that differently. Like it's more genuine for one and more predatory and manipulative for the other. And the way that like Mark Ruffalo does, I, I think, uh, I think Nick, uh, said this to me after, after I logged it, he was like, everything that he does in this movie is gold. Like Mark Ruffalo is just incredible in this. And I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, that might be a, a great, uh, place to start yeah. because I think to me, I mean, there's so many things that this, like I said, I mean, this is, I think the only movie I gave five stars to this year on nice. Letterboxd. And 
to me, I think the two things that really stand out, I mean, there's a lot that stands out, but are the performances from Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo and the dialogue um, from Tony McNamara's uh, screenplay, which the dialogue yes. is also incredible and really plays yeah. also those two performances. Um, I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but I've it's been a few weeks since I first watched this movie, and mm-hmm. I think I can confidently say that Emma Stone, I think, might give one of the best comedic performances I've ever seen in any movie. In, in, in movie. Um, she that, is, I am in yeah. awe of, of her this year. Um, you know, she's also doing great work on this show, The Curse, with Nathan Fielder. I haven't started that yet, but goddamn, I need it's to. Amazing. Between those two shows, I'm just she's like like all of a sudden like my favorite actress yeah Uh, watching these two and she's amazing um playing obviously starting this movie as a literally you know i don't know if we've mentioned the plot but she's a a a grown woman with a baby's brain put inside of her by willem dafoe and watching her evolution um throughout from the beginning to the end of the movie the way her dialogue advances, the way her physical movements advance, the amount of work and like thought and just how calculated of a performance that is without ever seeming overly showy or self-conscious in a way, you know, it is just genuinely hilarious. Mm -hmm. And uh, her energy is just infectious. Uh, Yeah. I, I was, I was, absolutely bowled over by her and um mark ruffalo equally amazing as just like this biggest pathetic <laughs> bag of a yep. lawyer you'll ever meet uh you know want, in some moments you want to see him get the shit kicked out of him mm-hmm. but other times you just he's too pathetic you just to feel even. so you pity him i don't even say yeah. I, I don't even say feel bad for him you just pity him it's just it's so pathetic Yes, um, he is yeah. unbelievable as well. Absolutely. And yes, Emma Stone, my God, like just the way she just commands that role. Like even when like there is there is such a line that is is walked with her performance in this movie that in the early parts of the movie where she is like in a person with an infant brain and she doesn't have like clear like motor skills or she can't communicate clearly she walks very peculiarly like even though even though she has those those like attributes to her she never comes across as it like even even though she has those attributes and she is uh, kind of indirectly or directly targeted for manipulation and for uh for predator predators who want certain things from her she carries the role in such a way that does not make her seem like she is a victim or damsel or someone who needs to be rescued or anything at every turn she is making choices based on her experience and like even though that experience is severely limited and she she has like no concept of like the dangers surrounding her and everything, she still is making those choices and doing the things that she wants to do and desires to do 
And it's just such a tightrope because there is such a with with a uh, a much less steady hand and lack of focus in in like across the board that could have been a disaster that could have been like the like a weird like uh i i don't it it would have given her i don't want to say like wouldn't have given her as much agency or anything but basically wouldn't have given her much agency <laughs> like like having sure. her be in command of of herself throughout the entire movie and then building the evolution of the character through that control that she exhibits as she gains more control and no- more knowledge and everything is some remarkable, like it's a remarkable blend of perfect screenwriting, perfect directing, perfect acting. Like it is, it is just, it is everything firing all, firing on all cylinders. Um, well, I love yeah. that you brought up kind of her sort of quest for control because this Mm -hmm. movie is ultimately right um her her quest um bella's her character bella her her quest for agency right Mm -hmm. and throughout the movie kind of the satire um that we see is right um there are really two defining characteristics to bella which is she's extremely horny she's very sexual and She's also really curious, right? Mm-hmm. She wants to explore the world. And the world that she has come into is a world that she is confounded by the restrictions men want to place on her sexuality and her curiosity. Yeah. And we see that a character like um, uh, Godwin, right? Her, mm-hmm. um, who, who she calls God, right? Her, yeah. her quote-unquote creator, um, who Willem Dafoe is amazing. His scarred, oh my god, yeah, guard face again. And- one of the things about like like an element of the movie that is makes me think is like pure Yorgos Lanthimos. Like I want to look away. It's like it's it. I don't know. There's something about like <laughs> didn't have to go that hard. I guess <laughs> he's a fascinating character in his own right. The more yeah. we learn about him, he goes from monstrous to monstrously sympathetic yep. to oddly endearing by the film's end. And, um, but, you know, anyways, he's character, right? He's a male who he has been allowed to satisfy his curious appetite as much as he wants, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets to perform all of these unholy experiments on animals and people alike mm-hmm. to no consequence. In fact, he's revered as a genius, right? Um and whereas Mark Ruffalo's character is somebody who takes pride in his sexual conquest, yeah. right? <laughs> um, one of the funniest lines in the movie is um, when we, when him and Bella first, you know, have sex and they're lying in bed and he goes, you've been thrice fucked by the very best. No <laughs> man will ever bring you to the rapturous, height, rapturous heights that I just have. He's like, but don't expect me to fall in love with you. You know? <laughs> And, um, you know, as but as soon as she exhibits any sexual agency of her own, Mm. he completely crumbles. It is he completely breaks. And I don't want to get too much into spoilers, but obviously that's kind of the central conflict of of the movie. Um, And Bella's sort of confusion Mm -hmm. and just complete dismissal, right, of these kind of really silly double standards. we hold for both um, men and women, you know, um, if you're a woman who is curious and, um, you know, wants to have lots of sex, Mm -hmm. you 
are mentally ill and dangerous. And if you're a man, man, um, it's cool. And exactly. You're celebrated. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that that's the aspect of the movie that I found really just so in a, in a way fresh, fresh, like a fresh way to kind of, uh, explore that central theme, that central concept, because it's, it's never like, I, I just completely lost my train of thought, but basically um, it's something that like that, that aspect of it where she is learning more and like he crumbles and everything. That is just such a perfect like takedown of like the, uh, the Lothario, uh, machismo, like masculine fragility. Um, and it is, like you said, it is just how, like, society is in terms of, like, you know, women are viewed this way for being, they're viewed as promiscuous for being uh, sexually liberated, men are celebrated for that. And, uh, and like, here, it's just so perfectly contained to to just expose, like, how ridiculous that is on a societal level by having him just crumble at the thought of her doing anything without him is, like, it's, I don't know, it's just... Uh, it's it's done so much more eloquently than I could put into words and have put into words in this uh, little like 30, 45 second word salad I just threw out. Um, yeah. No, I mean, that was incredibly uh, well put. Thank and you. And I, I, you know, I think too, what's so refreshing is to see such an outwardly like sex positive mm-hmm. and, um, a movie that's also just tackling these themes of like societal repression of, of women that is not like the fucking handmaiden's tale or something that's like incredibly bleak and depressing right. to watch. Um and especially surprising from someone like Yorgos Lanthimos, who like absolutely could make a, the bleak and depressing version right. of the movie. You absolutely could. And he doesn't, he makes a hilarious uh, comedic version of that, mm-hmm. but doesn't also hold back on the nastiness and nope. uh, some of the more violent aspects and outrageous aspects. Yep. And also, you know, in a, I'm sure you probably on being online on Twitter, you see mm-hmm. so much discourse, like how there's no sex in movies. Movies are so sanitized these days, which I, I agree. And I mean, it is kind of refreshing to see a movie that is so outright r-rated yes depiction of um sex and i i just i found myself you know um this movie was just so refreshing on so many Mm -hmm. levels um to me uh so and just the way it tackled these themes as well as just like depiction of them um being so frank and hilarious absolutely and just kind of in the broad sense the idea that or like the, the way that it presents I, like this might be like reductive or uh, of it, but like just the way it, ex- it it explores like the concept of femininity in a masculine world or a masculine controlled world, like that idea of like yeah, I want to have sex. Oh, I can get paid to have sex. Okay, and then everyone's like, no, you're a whore. It's like, well, okay, whatever. I don't care. Like it's just there. There are so many different elements that I don't know the the goofy like jokey thing i'm thinking is like men walked so that poor things could run um so because it's such a more nuanced representation of some similar themes um yeah and it's just it's so fun it's fun yeah i i think you're right and i think because of the kind of ludicrous and like 
fantastical tone and like imagery of the movie and just Mm -hmm. it being a comedy in general it can be unlike something like men which we talked about earlier it can be more on the nose and um like a little less subtle about its themes because the movie isn't taking itself as seriously as something like men which is meant to just be this grim punishing Mm -hmm. experience um and you know i I also just want to say the the dialogue. Um, I wrote down so many lines from the movie <laughs> that were just having me double over laughing. This is the only movie this year where I watched it on my own mm-hmm. on the screener, and I uh, told my fiance um, Devin, who I live with, I was like, "You have to watch this movie. I just watched it. <laughs> it is incredible." And then yep. we literally watched it the next day. I watched it twice because That's I awesome. loved it so much. <laughs> and. Um, Mark Ruffalo's character, who uh, has the amazing name Duncan Wedderburn, which uh, <laughs> Master says over and over, mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the funniest moments um, when they're sitting at this table and Mark Ruffalo is kind of realizing emotionally he's in so deep with uh, Bella. Mm-hmm. It's like the more she kind of wriggles away from him, the more he is, you know, um, just driven crazy and feels devoted to her. Um, there's this moment he's at a table and she gets up and she's dancing and he goes, I've become the very thing I hate, a grasping succubus of a lover. I've cried many of them off of me and now I'm it. Fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's, the dialogue is so fucking good, man. It's just yeah. so good. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's lyrical. It's, oh my God. Um, yeah, yeah. There uh, are some things in, late in the movie that I want to touch on in spoilers, but uh, what else can we say in non-spoilers? Um, the the kind of visuals of it, like it it does the kind of I guess tried and true, or I don't know if this is just just carried over from the favorite, or if he does this in his other movies, but that kind of fisheye lens um uh aesthetic that he brings to the table is you utilize quite frequently here this movie in particular like in the favorite i thought that 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 the weird kind of camera techniques that he employed there felt again kind of like a, a, a light extension of that like uneasy feeling that i have with his filmmaking and style and everything sure. but here like i kind of found like it balanced a lot of the just crazy weird world building visuals of of the movie on screen so like we i mean we see like a freaking like uh what was it like a duck dog or a chicken dog like what yeah the it's like, like a, it's like a bulldog with a duck's head and then vice versa we see the, yes uh, the duck with the bulldog's head yes the- so like it's just peppered throughout it these weird strange very uh inhumane (laughs) science experiments but also just the overall feel like it feels like like a like a kind of like a terry gilliam like like you said like steampunk sort of aesthetic but more importantly like those weird camera angles the like wide lenses the the fisheye lens things those also kind of feel like they are existing as an enhancement of the peculiar movements that emma stone is is doing in each scene because like she's literally like she can't she's walking like she just learned how to walk yesterday because she just learned how to walk yesterday basically 
Um, and I just felt like that just enhanced the overall mood of, of the movie. And it made it a lot more immersive for me rather than in his previous work where I would be like, Oh, this is making me uncomfortable. Like just, you know, <laughs> like it's it's like the family guy bit like well, like what that someone throw a pie <laughs> yeah, yeah sure i, I think yeah. too um you know the favorite which i adore mm-hmm. um and i'm just so on board with his style that this didn't bother me as much but mm-hmm. in that movie the fisheye lenses did feel a little just like okay i don't really this I don't feel like this adds much to the story, except this almost just like Yorgos putting his like odd stamp on, uh, you know, yeah. a rather conventional narrative, which I still, I love, I love that stamp. So I was cool with it, but here I feel like those fisheye lenses, those like, you know, I love when they're outside, like all the guys have this like cotton candy look. Yes. To them, you know? And there's like odd blimps in the sky, you know, there's, like, like I said, it's that steampunk aesthetic where it's like futuristic meets like Victorian era. And I felt like in this case, like not only were they just made the movie gorgeous to look at, um, but on a narrative level, it really also communicates like the feeling of that Bella must experience mm-hmm. of waking up in, you know, seeing the world for the first time. Um, the sensory overload that must come with exploring and like leaving this house you've kind of been sequestered to for the beginning of your life. So I, I, you know, not only did I think it just added an awesome visual, you know, palette to the movie, but I also thought it served like a pretty distinct purpose, which was cool. Absolutely. And the switch from like black and white to, to, to color film, like it's, it's like, it's that perfect way to also express that overstimulating that she experienced getting out into the world. And it's just, it's, it's freaking gorgeous, man. It's gorgeous. I love it. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I feel like we should go into spoilers here in a sec, but I wanted to ask you, did you see the movie fingernails on Apple TV plus? I did not. Is, is that it's the movie with, uh, Riz Ahmed and Jesse Buckley. Yes. Yeah, so I I watched it and uh, it also it had some of that uneasy stuff for me. Um, but what I found interesting when I was when I was kind of digging into it was that the director Christos Nico uh, was like he's he was like a second unit director on one or two or assistant director on Dog Tooth and I think maybe another Lanthimos movie, but. Um, but like throughout, like before I found that, I kept thinking like, man, this, this seems like he's like trying to be Yorgos Lanthimos, <laughs> like in that uneasy, like weird heightened way, but not fully committing to it. So I don't know. And I was delighted to see like, oh, it's because he's worked with him before. Like he, like he's, he was his assistant director. Um, but I don't know. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that if you ever get around to it. Yeah. They're both, uh, Greek directors. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would be very curious. But yeah, to me, I I could not have been more pleased that you know one of my favorite working directors. Um, it's been like I think maybe five years since his last movie. Has um, it been five years? I think the favorite was like 2018, right? Jesus, and I know it doesn't seem wow. like that long. No, but um, the fact that 2018 was five years ago is uh, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> 
you know, so the fact that this it was such a long way and I'm like, this might be my favorite Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Nice. Uh, period. So, I, you know, it was, it was just so satisfying that this ended up being uh, my favorite film of the year. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, is there anything that like oh, you say favorite movie of the year, but Rebel Moon part one a child of well, fire yeah. we're in a we're living in a pre-rebel moon world <laughs> exactly. right now exactly so everything's gonna change yes that, obviously <laughs> exactly so, you know, talk to me in a week and we'll see how i feel exactly um <laughs> uh so let's go into spoilers for poor things um like uh like i said it's it's opening in theaters december 22nd we're gonna go into spoilers for poor things uh if you want to avoid the spoilers check the show notes for timestamps. uh but to bring us into spoilers i'm gonna play a clip from the trailer for poor things no she's an experiment good evening her brain and her body are not quite synchronized but she's progressing at an accelerated pace So spoilers on for poor things. Um, the music in this movie was gorgeous, absolutely stunning. Um, I just like just from the trailer, I just like had that thought. It's just it's stunning. Oh yeah, I mean, I, every I felt like w- when we nominated this for the mm-hmm. film critics Triple awards, um, you know, Nick was like, "Oh, we left out cinematography." Well, I was like, "Yeah." nominated for every category yeah. that it's possible eligible for oh yes oh yeah movie, i just like the synchronicity of it absolutely the synchronicity of every aspect of it is just it's it's insane uh, i loved it um but uh in spoilers one of the things that i ultimately was not displeased with but in the moment i was a little nervous about was the um uh, Christopher Abbott, I believe, uh, when he pops up as mm. her previous iterations, like husband, and then the movie veers off into her choosing to go with him and being with him and seeing like how her life was like, I love that as an idea. I love that as like, she is still exhibiting her agency and like use it. Like she's making the choice. She's not beholden to anyone yet or anything, or she's not someone who is going to be like property to someone else. But she's also very curious about who she was and who like what her life is like. And, and she wants to explore that. But like when it goes to her being with him, I just felt like the movie veered off into like a completely different movie for a beat. Um, but I'm glad that it, it, it didn't stay in there that long and it had enough tension and enough turns to make me, to make me kind of get back into it. So how did you feel about that aspect of the movie? Yeah, well, I guess we're in spoilers now. Mm -hmm. So I will say that, um, that is where the movie started to feel like the old Yorgos Lanthimos, where, Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden there's, uh, like the threat of genital mutilation and, um you know murder like this woman's like basically being imprisoned i mean literally being imprisoned in Mm -hmm. this house um by this like sadistic person and you know the fact that they had christopher abbott playing him the second he shows up you're like this guy's gonna be evil (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) this guy is absolutely gonna be evil um in that that humor for example like the dinner scene where he goes oh we used to have a love of fun and then they you know he humiliates his servant you know yes 
what they like to do. That felt very much like dog tooth mm-hmm. lobster era Yorgos Lanthimos, which I'm a big fan of that. So I kind of appreciated that shift into the much darker tone near the end. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I was worried because I was so I, I fell in love with the character of Bella Baxter. Oh, so absolutely. When, in this situation, I'm like, I you know, she is, I mean, one of the most for me, like just one of the most unforgettable protagonists in uh, the past few years. Mm-hmm. So when she was, you know, in danger, I guess it showed how great of a job the movie did in investing me in her that I was I was genuinely tense and worried that something was gonna happen to her. And with yep. a director like Yorgos you wouldn't be surprised if he ended it on a really bleak note. Right. Um, so when things finally come full circle um, and like the ultimate fate of Christopher Abbott's character is revealed. Beautiful. I, beautiful. It was perfect. Yes. Um, like the, it, it it's such <laughs> a, like I, it is, it is, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It, it's such a like perfect, like, the patriarchy sort of ending but it's so like you're just like carrying on her own curiosity like like yeah you know the potentially shady legacy of (laughs) like godwin baxter yeah um, she's getting into the family business um exactly it's just spitting on every level and it's also just a you know, a delicious comeuppance for a truly reprehensible character. Yep. Yep. And I, so like, and maybe I didn't track it right. Like I, like I was thinking, and I don't know if this was the expectation that like we were meant to think it was going to go this way, but I was thinking like, oh, okay, she's going to, um, uh, basically do what, do with godwin what godwin did with her she's going she's she's gonna use his brain into christopher abbott's body so that he can live or whatever but no it's not that at all um yeah Yeah. i don't know it's not that happy ending but it is a happy ending in its own twisted yorgos lanthimus way yes uh i think almost that would have been too good of a fate for uh you know christopher abbott's character and i'm glad you brought up godwin too because um, I, I love the arc of his, the emotional arc of, it's not that his character changes, but mm-hmm. like the way our view of his character changes throughout the movie. I mean, he does some really sketchy things and he's a complicated yeah. person. He's not uh, necessarily a good person. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, when we first meet him, he seems pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we learn about these experiments that his father performed on him yes uh, which were included like chemical castration and like removing of his like glands which also just what an amazing touch of when he's eating at dinner and oh my god the bubbles yes (laughs) it's just so it's so it's so weird it's so weird but it works because the world that it's in it's so it's it's so unique. It's like, that's like the, fir- I, to me, that was like one of the first indicators of like, I'm like, oh, when we first see that bubble thing when he's eating dinner and she, she claps after, yeah. you know, that was the first time I'm like, oh, this movie's going to be like wacky. And <laughs> yes. And, um, but the way it changes um, to, you know, he's then kind of sympathetic. You see, he's the, the victim of all these like cruelties at the hand of his father. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then ultimately, like, as we actually see his genuine love for Bella by the end of the movie, you know, I think a lesser um, movie, a less interesting one would have him, you know, pursuing her or angry that she's leaving. Mm -hmm. And when she first announces she wants to leave with Duncan Wedderburn, he goes, well, she can do what she wants. You know, she's yeah. he, he realizes that he's created uh, somebody with, you know, a higher intellect and desires and wants. And he's like, yeah. OK, once I've realized they've reached that level, like I have to respect that I had to respect their wishes. Right. Um, and by the end of the movie, like his love for her and wanting to like walk her down the aisle in a wedding. I was like, I can't believe how touching that I'm was so touching. Yeah. <laughs> That yeah. is that is just the complexities of that paternal figure, and and it's just so weird that like, like Nick had messaged messaged me again after I had said it, where he he said that um the <laughs> like I agree with this, he said um let me bring it up here, uh he said the moment in Poor Things when Willem Dafoe gives the long explanation about his genitals. Uh, and Rami Youssef says, what? Uh, and he just replies with, I'm a eunuch and can't fuck her. Um, like, just like the directness of that is just so amazing. But, but also like that paternal fam familial connection that he has with her. And then also like the, the, the kind of darkness or tragic nature of the way that like the next experiment that he has with, uh, is it Margaret Qualley? Um, yeah. where he's like, like, he's not, he's, he's shielding himself from forming that connection again. Um, and it's going to disastrous results. Um, yeah. Yeah. But also the, the Max character, Rami Yusuf, like that, like is it, it, that the character arc for him is like in, in a lesser movie or a less like refined movie, it would have been too much of a like um placeholder or a, basically an archetype of like okay well like like the not all men sort of uh uh sure. ethos i guess but like him being like yeah you know i just care about you i i love you and everything and then like he's still like waits for it like there's a genuine like um affection there um, but also he has his frustrations and everything. So I don't know. How'd you feel about his character? Yeah. I mean, he was great. I think he's probably the least of the, I mean, of, of the Mark Ruffalo, the Godwin Baxter, Bella, obviously he probably mm. is given the least to do, but yeah. he obviously serves like, um, he serves a great purpose in the movie it, yeah. in terms of like servicing like Bella's character and allowing her to kind of reach a point where she is deciding to be in a relationship because she wants to be. Yes. Um, and she's finding the acceptance that she wants by the end. And um, I also love that in his, in, you know, um, with his character, um, he's not just some, He's not just some like knight in shining armor right. who's ready to rescue her. Like he's childish at times. Mm -hmm. He's deceitful at times. He's dishonest at times, but he's also ultimately like a pretty humble and mm -hmm. um, caring person too. And so, I mean, even a character like that um, is, you know, in this movie is given complexity. And mm -hmm. I think that's just why, 
again, what makes this just such a remarkable film is the way it nails a lot of the touching human drama um, in a way that almost, you know, as good as any movie you care to name this year, but also nails like the absurdist slapstick ridiculousness um, as well. And that's, those are such hard things um, to balance in any movie. And this movie makes it just seem effortless. Absolutely. And him, Max, he's like the most as he's about as grounded and like regular person that you can be in this world that that is in this movie. But also, like you you touched on it, I love that the the movie isn't positioning itself as like, oh, he's waiting for her or he is the one like he's like it's not his choice to accept her uh with her new history and everything or for him to be upset with her over her actions instead the movie is positioned as her becoming her own person and becoming someone who is in a place where she is ready to accept a like marriage and love with this man rather than have it be assigned to her by her father or by society um and I just love that. And it, when you kind of like look at the movie structurally, like it kind of just like it, like toward the end of it, there's like that whole wedding scene. And then like the bride leaving at the altar, that is like such a conventional, like romantic drama, romantic comedy set piece, but it's done with such a, like <laughs> with such a Yorgos Lanthimos at the, at the head of it. So I just, I love that. I just, I think that that was just really well done. And I think it's it's great for the movie overall. Yeah, I mean, it's I could rave about this movie for mm. hours. It's I mean, I'm just so impressed with yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos, um, who's typically a pretty misanthropic mm. and like borderline like nihilistic director. Like even his films that are very dark comedies, mm. um, the messaging is often very bleak. Yeah. Um, it has a has a pretty low um, view on like you could argue has a pretty like low view on humanity. There's very yeah. few like characters in his movies. Um, you're either at best, you know, in the world of movies like Dogtooth and the Lobster, mm-hmm. you're at best you're too stupid to be evil, mm-hmm. and at worst you're completely corrupt and yep. making the world the worst place. Um, and you know, in a movie like this, it's so great, you know, to, to see that yours has kind of like shed a lot of that. Not that he necessarily he needed to, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, he has this sunnier disposition in uh, a movie like Poor Things and it totally works. Uh, I yep. just I, I'm so impressed. And I'm like, I, it just makes me so curious like what he will do after this. Same here. And like that, I think is, I think you kind of pinpointed exactly what it is about his work that is so off-putting to me is that misanthropic viewpoint, that very, very bleak view of things. Cause like, I still think about like one of the last scenes of dog tooth, like here, five years after I've seen it for, after I'd seen it for the first time. And it's like, it's just so, depressing and dour and and sad uh because of like like you said you're either too like you like sometimes his characters are just too stupid to survive like they like they are just they're a character who is and i'm kind of basically just speaking specifically about dog tooth uh they're a character who is not given 
the tools necessary to like not even thrive to exist in like normal society and like yeah. that is such a bleak and depressing thing about dogtooth and here we have like the inverse of that someone who doesn't have like the tools necessary or doesn't have the knowledge but goes out and seeks it and builds and learns and and becomes like grows into like a person who is able to to take control of situations rather than be completely destroyed by them and i think that that is just such a that is such a fresh thing from what i've seen of lanthimus's work that is such a fresh and uplifting uh uh kind of uh uplifting tone for him to have in this movie and it makes me excited to see what he does next as well um if he's going to carry on with that or if he's going to go back to super dark uh crazy um bleak stuff yeah i mean after the favorite and now being more comedic and now this being much more comedic mm -hmm. it seems he's heading in that direction and i mean honestly between those two movies like I hope him and Emma Stone just literally are like, oh the my God, yes. Daisy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Collect each other's work. Cause yep. I would just love to see them continue to collaborate with one another. Cause same my God, here. They are incredible. Um, you know, when they work together. Absolutely. And kind of the final thing I want to, I want to kind of talk about, uh, was, um, uh, God, I can't remember the character's name, but what did you make of, was it Gerard Carmichael? Yeah, Gerard Carmichael, Harry Astley. Um, he has a run in the movie where he, like, I, was it he was introducing, introducing Bella to the more bleak, uh, stuff? Like, Absolutely. what did you make of his, of his character? Yeah, I, I mean, nothing in this movie didn't work for me, but mm -hmm. like, this is like the one thing in the movie where I could see somebody maybe um I could see somebody maybe like taking an issue with in terms of like he seems to serve like a much more uh, thematic purpose than like a real narrative one. Yeah. Um that said it's like it, he he's kind of the he's almost the character who's like there to cuz he's there like literally functioning as a thing like i am going to explicitly challenge your optimistic worldview you have this yes. like inherent optimism and this zest for life right which is that that her zest for life is so infectious and in what makes this movie yeah. so fun um and but i it, it worked for me because i mm. loved it because um ultimately she like you know bella was going to have to encounter some kind of harsh cruelty yeah. right like something was going to happen that would expose her to the more ugly side of humanity mm -hmm. and what i loved is that ultimately like the movie's message regarding like that character's arc i think where Gerard carmichael just goes hey look at this people who are starving and dying and have a terrible life and yeah you know things like this um and he's like and there's nothing you can do to help them like the issue is too large for you to solve mm -hmm um <laughs> and her reaction is to just take all of all of uh mark ruffalo's money <laughs> and the, i love the button of like the naivete of her just giving like willfully giving it to those guys who are not going to do, give it to them no. <laughs> it's no, just it's it, beautiful 
how casually she tells Doug, she's like, I told you I gave all your money to the <laughs> nice man at the ship. Like, <laughs> and he's just so angry. It's so great. Um, so and, great. But, you know, the movie, again, it's like this shockingly but refreshingly positive outlook from mm. Yoris Lanthimos where, like, his worldview ultimately is bested or is trumped by Bella's when, um, in a really, I thought, wonderful moment when um, Gerard Carmichael goes up to Bella and is like, hey, I apologize for mm. upsetting you. And she was like, it's okay. Like, you needed to show me that. And he goes, I really didn't. Uh, I was angry. It made me mad to see somebody so naively happy. And mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to destroy it, which is honestly like that is a relatable human feeling that everybody has felt at some point in their Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Right? You are unhappy and you see somebody else having something, you know, enjoying something that you feel like you deserve. Everybody has that kind of jealousy, right? We've yeah. all felt jealous over those kind of things. And I love <laughs> how Bella goes, well, I think you're just a really hurt and mm -hmm. scared yeah. person. And he was like, and he goes, you're probably right. Yeah. Or he goes, that might be true. So um, and I just thought that was so beautiful that mm -hmm. uh, the movie essentially very explicitly kind of says like people who choose to kind of dwell on these horrible negative things are doing so because like they're coming from a place of hurt inside. And yeah. ultimately that can't really lead to much good. That will make you a, an unhappy person. Um, Absolutely. When you, <laughs> this is such a dumb joke, but uh, when you said that, like we've all experienced this like feeling of, of jealousy, if like we're in a bad mood and we, uh, and we see someone who has it good, like we will feel jealous and everything. Like my, <laughs> my dumbass thought was like, yeah, that same thing kind of happened with my, with my friend John Doe and this uh, detective Mills. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He coveted <laughs> what he yes. had, and yeah. you know, he, had, he took action. He did. You know? He did. Real go getter there, John Doe. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Any any other thoughts on poor things? I know that we can probably talk a while more about it, but man, I, I, it's not going to make the top of my top ten. I, I will say that, but it's going to be it's going to be very high up there for me. Um. And it's, uh, it's, it's such a unique movie. It is so, it is, I, I loved it. I really loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I, as did I, I, it seemed right up my alley and it was even more up my alley than I thought it would be. Yep. <laughs> so, so happy to see that. Nice. Uh, all right. Well, that is our review of Poor Things. Um, check out Mitch's review. I have a link in the show notes. Now, Mitch, why don't we go in? Why, why don't we go ahead and uh, and 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 drain the bathwater of this of this episode and go into our review of Salt Burn? Um, Love that metaphor. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Uh, so, our secondary review of the night is going to be for Salt Burn. Probably won't do a spoiler section. If we do, I'll make sure to note it in the show notes because it is a movie that we can spoil because I had some problems with it, but. Um, but to bring us into it, I'll go ahead and read the plot summary. Uh, Saltburn is about a student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. 
Uh, the movie was written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who previously in 2020 made Promising Young Woman, which was a movie that I really enjoyed. Um, Same. Nice. Uh, the cast includes Barry Keoghan uh, of of uh, previous Hugo Gross Lanthimos movie, um, Killing of the Sacred Deer, uh, Jacob Elordi, uh, Archie Medekwai, uh Rosamund Pike, and Richard E. Grant. And once again, this movie is going to be streaming on Amazon Prime beginning tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the 21st, so December 22nd. Uh, Mitch, in non-spoilers, actually, uh, yeah, yeah, in non-spoilers, what did you think of Saltburn? And I just decided we are going to do a spoiler section so I can play the clip from the trailer at that point. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, what did you think of Saltburn? I was pretty disappointed by this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed Promising Young Women, and the thing is, there's something about Emerald Fennell, and this would be a longer discussion for a different time but i'll just say that there's people seem to have their knives out for emerald fennel on the online you know film twitter community people hated promising young woman there was a massive backlash to that film yeah and there seems to be an equally strong and vitriolic backlash to saltburn um but Going into Saltburn, I had every reason to think I would enjoy it because the trailer made the film look visually very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Harry Keegan is an actor I really enjoy in a lot yeah. of roles. And, um, you know, I I just thought like, hey, I a lot of people didn't like Promising Young Woman. I love that. I'll probably really enjoy this. I heard some comparisons to like Talented Mr. Ripley, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite films of all time. So blind spot I, for me, honestly. Oh, I know. Dude, you want the better movie of the better version of Saltburn? <laughs> Watch down to Mr. Ripley will blow your mind. Will do. Um so I thought this film was visually pretty um like visually pretty yeah. <laughs> visually like, pretty gorgeous. <laughs> I thought Barry Keegan gave a pretty solid performance. Love some of the supporting performances, especially mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan as well. I thought yeah. was hilarious. Um, ultimately, this film felt like it was building up, and we can get to this in uh, spoilers, to a pretty dramatic conclusion. Mm-hmm. And where that film, where the movie ultimately... Um, how the movie ultimately resolved itself in the big reveal of what this was all leading to, I found incredibly rushed, unconvincing, yes, and pretty disappointing, and 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 and, and shockingly conventional in a way mm-hmm. I had seen that before. And uh, the movie has some—you mentioned bathwater earlier. <laughs> yeah, the movie has some rather shocking and like transgressive quote unquote shocking and transgressive uh moments a lot of bodily fluids mm-hmm. uh in this movie yes um, yeah yeah yep. and i found them j- to be very like empty provocations mm-hmm. it felt like emerald fennel was like this would be fucked up and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that necessarily but the movie's tone seems very like self-satisfied in a way that uh, just I could kind of get the back. I think the backlash is still really harsh. I don't think it's like a 
mm-hmm. the worst movie I've seen all year or anything. But I can sort of see why people are maybe a little more prone to disliking this movie and being harsh towards it because there is kind of a smug and self-satisfied tone to this movie. Yes. Um, that that did rub me the wrong way a bit. So, Same. Um, yeah, so for a, you know, I, I didn't find it very thrilling, didn't find it very menacing, mm. didn't find it all that funny as a black comedy either. So, uh, so yeah, I was disappointed. What did you think? I I will echo a lot of those same sentiments. Like as someone who loved Promising Young Woman and thought that I'm not going to spoil spoil Promising Young Woman, but one of the most like audacious endings uh that I'd seen that year. That the way that that movie concludes its story, I felt was so interesting and so like ballsy for the story that she was telling and also a little bit like nihilistic and crazy even though it kind of it's a whole thing but anyway um the way that that concluded i like yeah i was all for it i loved that movie mostly for a lot of that reason um so to go from that to Saltburn, where it never seems like she's trying to one-up what she did with Promising Young Woman, but it feels like she's trying, like you said, it trying to get to a foregone conclusion for the story in a self-satisfied kind of like it like the entire reveal at the end that we'll talk about in spoilers feels incredibly unearned incredibly unearned we i don't get the sense i don't get any sense of why this person is doing these things why like what the motivation is aside from surface level things unless i missed something because i watched this like very quickly after work but it just felt just so directionless like like promising young woman had a very specific um very specific like thematic thing that it was going for and the journey that she was going for was very clear this just felt like it was trying to pull the rug out from under us but it was a hardwood floor from the beginning like it just felt like it it felt just so purposeless and the kind of the the big theme of the movie by the end of it that I'll I'll kind of uh, express more about in spoilers felt more like something that would have been more at home in like 2016. Like now it just seems like a tired commentary, a tired dynamic, I guess, um, between like like fish out of water aspects and class uh, struggles. It just felt just so. It just it just felt so unrefined and and it did not have any uh it did not ha- it did not carry with it any like meat to it and I just ugh, yeah and in in the prov- the provocative nature of some of the bodily fluid stuff if you had told me like say a year ago that oh yeah I'm gonna be reviewing a Yorgos Lanthimos movie and an Emerald Fennel, Fennel movie um and one of those movies is going to make me feel so uneasy and creeped out and and just unnerved like in a way that isn't going to be anything worthwhile for me in the overall movie and the other is going to be this really interesting study of a 
like like feminist study in this very unique uh unique yeah. world uh an interesting spin on it like i would have i would have laughed in your face if you told me which movie would be which because what the hell <laughs> i completely agree and you know you mentioned that you found the movie pretty unnerving but like in an off-putting way mm-hmm. i wish i even felt that about it i mostly found the movie pretty listless mm-hmm. and meandering and um you know i i wanted to uh shout out a um my i wrote a review on letterbox just a one sentence review mm-hmm. um that basically i said i love the vibes and nude keegan dancing but for <laughs> a but for a purported sexual psychosexual thriller about a sociopath there's very little menace or tension here mm-hmm. And um, one of my online acquaintances, uh, Dan McCoy, who he actually runs the uh, Flophouse podcast. Oh, nice. Um, And he commented on my review and said he thinks the movie is less interested in being a thriller and more of a cruel slash horny black comedy. Hmm. And on that regard, I actually think he's like, right. I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm like, I'm like, you're right. The movie really kind of, without any spoilers, decides to be a thriller later in the movie. Yeah. Um, It seems like it's headed in that way, but I honestly just did not find the comedy very compelling. I I found it mostly pretty obvious and listless. And I just, I just think like the only thing that really impressed me about this movie was the very gauzy and like uh, to use an overused term, like dreamlike, visuals i loved Mm. kind of the that the ethereal film stock kind of look to this movie i thought was really striking and that always at least kept me somewhat engaged that Mm -hmm. and barry keegan's performance but um yeah it's it's hard this is a hard movie to talk about my issues with it uh, yeah without spoiling it yeah um to uh, with regard to like me feeling uneasy for it like uh, uneasy about it and stuff like specifically the and again we'll go in spoilers here soon but uh the bodily fluid aspects of it um the unease i felt was kind of exacerbated by the fact that I feel like there was no purpose for that like there was no reason that like i don't get what why like why not not it's not like such a surface level thing as like oh why did he do this or why is that like no but i don't know what point the movie is making and like that's what was frustrating to me is when when shit kind of starts hitting the fan and things start happening late in the movie and we start running toward that that very foregone conclusion of a of an ending I just felt like I don't know why this movie is why why these events are happening in this movie and it's not like a it's not like a sense of oh why is why is this suddenly happening it's more like what the fuck is this movie saying like what what am I supposed to glean from this it's a 180 in certain respects and it's just like I'm 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 not tethered to the story at all <laughs> like it's very it just felt very um unfulfilling to me could not could not agree more yeah um, yeah um shall we agree more in spoilers <laughs> yes yes i'm like i'm like i really want to say kind of 
I want to get into the details of the last, you know, 10 minutes of the movie. Absolutely. So we're going to go into spoilers for Saltburn. Um, once again, it's going to be streaming on Amazon Prime by the time you're listening to this, probably. Um, so I'm going to play a clip from the trailer for Saltburn. And when we come back, we're going to be spoiling the film. Oliver, I love you. I love yeah. I love you. All right, cheers, Ollie. My parents, they've got problems. What kind of? What do you mean, problems? I don't think I'll ever go home again. Well, why don't you come home with me? Come to Saltburn. Mr. Quick. Wow. And here he is now. Oh, what beautiful eyes. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, I told you it wasn't a minger. Oh, but darling, you're kind about everyone. You can't be trusted. And that specific part in the trailer is one of the biggest issues and biggest failings I found in the movie is that it is trying to position Felix as this duplicitous or this uh, manipulative person who's trying to like, like is creating like, like is it is going over overboard with trying to position us to think that Felix is like using Oliver some kind of plaything solely for the fact that at the end of the movie it's like oh he was playing everyone he had his own ulterior motives he had his own psychotic tendencies and stuff isn't that crazy it's like no we could see that coming a mile away like it's not it what purpose yeah for me i felt similarly but like with the caveat of like i felt like the way you know the movie is building it up right um again this is super talented mr ripley i won't give you spoilers for that movie Mm -hmm. though but in terms of him saying did i love him at the beginning you know goes oh i didn't i didn't love him but so my immediate i feel like very early on you're like he killed him right yeah he killed this guy like he's talking about him in the past tense he's creepy he killed him Mm -hmm. and that turned out to be true um i didn't see the whole oh i'm doing this incredibly this incredible long con of killing off everybody to siphon this inheritance for myself, trust money for myself. So I can have the whole estate. Um, I don't think narratively that's necessarily like a terrible direction for the movie to go, but the movie decides rather than letting us, the audience in on it the whole time, Mm. which I think I would have actually found more satisfying if we're like, if we're if there's suspense because we're like, oh, is he going to be able to do this? Oh right. my gosh! Like you know, and now we're like viewing this through the eyes of a sociopath. The movie decides to play it all in this. Here's what really happened, yeah. kind of flashback. And a, it's like we get the idea, mm-hmm. and b, they're trying to play it as this big reveal, like you mentioned, and it seemed pretty obvious from the beginning something yeah. sinister was going to happen. Um, I will say that the dance to murder on the dance floor, uh, I I will admit, like, I was like, as a sequence, I'm like, that's pretty. That was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that was a cool ending. And it it was cool that he's now, you know, we're seeing him now. He's free to just do nothing. Right. Right. This mansion. But I just never really found him. I also never found Barry Keegan's um, character to uh, 
Like, I just don't buy it. Like, like no. he, that he's an absolute genius mastermind. Like, yeah. I, mean, the film, I felt like it was stupid. Um, also, it doesn't gel with the same guy who humps his grave. Oh, my God. Like, I, like that. I What the fuck? Like, I don't. Yeah. I, I was just like, that felt like it was, you know, I, I could not understand the rationale like what is the movie saying with that what the like what so up its own ass yes you know that that sequence and it also it's like i couldn't square away that this like sad desperately horny dude is also this like who would do that is also master manipulator it felt like the movie just sort of had a vague idea of his character and from scene to scene, he was somebody different entirely. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, um, it, it really didn't work for me. And also yeah. in terms of like when, uh, Jacob Elordi's character, mm-hmm. um, learns about, uh, and I'm sorry, what is Jacob Barry Keegan's character's name again? Oliver. Oliver. So when yeah. he learns that Oliver, um, has been lying this entire time mm. and is actually from like a pretty well-to-do like upper middle class family. Yeah. I was sort of like, so that's a huge oversight. In yeah. Like, uh, yeah. He, he didn't have any sort of, he never thought that through that. Like yep. maybe somebody would learn about where he comes from, which is within like drive quick driving distance. Of, right. Uh, this saltburn mansion i so that felt weird to me as well yeah and to your point about how the movie could have functioned better if we were with barry keegan's whole thing from the beginning if we were in on that i feel like emerald fennell kind of shot herself in the foot with that because that's kind of what she did with promising young woman we were with her throughout the entire thing and that's why that ending works so well um, and so for her to do that again with this, but following the central character from like inception of the idea to execution of it, I feel like that would have been, I feel like she was trying to go a different route with that. And as a result, like you said, we don't have any sense of where Oliver is in his head because he is deceiving this family and the movie is deceiving us haphazardly and trying to throw up these very lazy um uh roadblocks or red herrings with with felix uh potentially being untrustworthy or playing him and then all the stuff with farley i think um like that all just felt very superfluous to everything but i think it's a very big missed opportunity that like yeah they have the whole excursion to oliver's house and they meet his family and it's his birthday and all of these things why not why not really position us and position the movie like why not make that a pivot to showing exactly how that affected felix and showing felix like like using that as platform to show felix actually caring about oliver as a person and as a friend and showing us that oh yeah felix isn't like this distrustful person he's just a kind of a genuine dude he kind of likes this guy um why not have that explored more instead of just being like oh yeah well he took him to his parents he's upset that he 
that he was lied to and oh he's dead and it's just it's just uh it just felt very very sloppy yeah it was very sloppy and i and honestly like the the movie overall i thought was perfectly whatever when i was watching it i was never Mm. i was disappointed in it it never enraged me or i was never like that was horrible when it was over because i think the movie like i mentioned is very glossy aesthetically and very pleasing to look at Mm -hmm. and there's enough there there's enough of an air of mystery and intrigue during it that keeps you kind of invested you're like wanting to see how things play out yeah but i also think kind of similar to what you said it's like if you when you build your movie around like what is the reveal going to be you know the the whole movie is like is building itself up as like we're going to reveal something to you and it's going to explain everything and it's probably going to be pretty messed up it all it kind of lives and dies on how you present that reveal and what it is and this was you're right it just was felt sloppy yeah and very hasty and perfunctory yes and like Uh, you said very rushed like i like in that final reveal where we see like he's talking to rosamund pike on her deathbed basically under like like on a ventilator and everything i like in that moment i was like oh that's pretty that's pretty crazy would have been would have been like would have been interesting if they didn't rush like everything in the last five minutes to get us to that point like it makes it it makes it like not that it's something that you need to guess at throughout the movie but it just feels like it feels like it's just trying to reach that conclusion and like it's seated maybe not even seated all that much but it's a little bit kind of uh i guess hinted at when he is uh when he's he sort of hits on her by saying like oh yeah you're so fucking beautiful and then like i'm like okay well is the whole thing gonna be like him trying to bang felix's mom okay um but then when that reveal happens i'm like okay like that's the only part we have where he has like really any and like any i don't know i i don't know it was just it was just so sloppy and then like i'm still playing catch up in that moment with like oh the dad died and he is he's like hanging out with her it's all weird i I didn't like it (laughs) yeah there's um i yeah and i i think there's like something mildly interesting about um you know uh him maybe like trying to seduce anybody he can this Mm -hmm. sort of like um i don't know if you've ever seen this like 1960s movie with terrence stamp called theorem it's it was directed by uh this guy pierre pasolini who also made um who also made Sallow or Salo. Have you ever heard of that film? Oh, I've heard Probably. about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So this guy also made that. And, okay. And this guy also made a film called Theorem with Terrence Stamp, which is also incredibly, incredibly similar hmm. where a, uh, this stranger, um, comes to this bourgeoisie family and he like seduces like the father, the hmm. mother, like that, like he like seduces everybody one by one. Um, and I was, it's kind of a side note. It seemed like um, perhaps Emerald Fennel had seen that film as uh, well. Yeah. Um, and this felt like a mashup of that in Talented Mr. Ripley 
and unfortunately is not nearly as good as either of those movies and has much yeah. less to say yes. um, on its subjects. Um, it, yeah. I guess this, it's not like Saltburn has nothing to say. Right. It's just what it has to say is very surface level. Yes. Very watered down by ejaculated, uh, ejaculation filled bathwater. Um, I, and I don't understand like that in the period blood thing, like just like, yeah, I don't understand what the, like, is it like in the moment, I guess, is it supposed to be an obsession and dominance thing? And then at the end, it's just like, oh, it's just because he's a fucking psychopath, I guess. Or I don't know. It's, it's. The, the problem is you're, you're talking to somebody who like, I have, you know, I am by no means, I don't think approved when it comes to mm-hmm. what I see in movies and, um, that being in a movie is totally fine if that's what you want to put in your movie. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that I think if you're going to show me that kind of imagery, I want it. It doesn't feel impactful if I don't, if it feels like there's nothing to say. It feels very. Exactly. You say the word empty over and over and over. And I think it's, it, I, and that's just how those scenes felt to me. I was like, Same. sure, that's shocking. Of course, watching somebody slurp up cummy bathwater mm. is going to get a reaction out of me, yeah. of course. But um, I'm, I'm like not compelled mm-hmm. by you know what you're trying to say. Exactly. Right. It's you're you're trying to. It's like you're almost trying to like, you know take every little last drop you can of this rich person's essence, right? Yeah. It's kind of the incredibly obvious visual metaphor there. And it's yep. like, okay, I guess you wanted to tell that visual metaphor in like a really silly, gross way that sort of doesn't make sense. No. On the story. Yep. Yeah. It, it did not work for me. And like, and, and to be frank, like I'm not a prude. I didn't like, I wasn't disgusted by it or anything any of those scenes, I just didn't understand the point. I don't think there was a point, and that is what was frustrating for me about it. Just that it just served no purpose other than to be provocative and be just shocking to the audience. Because by by the conceit of the movie, it is it is not disclosing to us where he's at in his head. It's presenting something that maybe the bathwater thing is an extension of his obsession with him or, or uh, like craze crazy love for him. But then he also uh, says at the beginning of the movie, I wasn't in love with him. I, it's all, it's just, uh, and then by the end of it, like it being presumably all a ploy to get salt burn or to just uh, like eradicate this family so that he could take their, their wealth and everything. Like I said, that is like that stuff that we saw like multiple times in different, different regards in like 2016, like ready or not. Uh, uh, Oh my God, your knives out. Like those kind of like eat the rich and, and like that, that class dynamic is stuff that is well-trotted territory and well-trotted in unique ways. And then this just feels like it is coming like half a decade or more too late to the party. Yeah. The eat the rich movies are, you know, are everywhere, right? They, yeah. They've even, they've even seeped into superhero movies with like Joker and the Batman right. and stuff like that. You know, it's like, where it's like, 
those are kind of inescapable and mm-hmm. this just it's you're already beating a dead horse so it's like at, at this point if you're going to show me that like give me something yes. exciting and new and i just yeah this this didn't do it for me um I, I really wanted to love it uh but unfortunately i think i do have to join the uh the The consensus yeah better luck next time to emerald funnel i know that she's got it in her like promising young woman was great i really like that movie so i don't know i'm i'm totally on board for the Mm. next like this didn't like yeah like i'm totally on board for whatever she wants to do yeah I'll i'll be excited for it there's a there's a lot there there are a lot of praiseworthy elements to this movie yeah. they just I think sink under the weight of their own pretension exactly exactly they just they yeah. there there are some good elements but those are the first to go down the drain uh when the stopper is pulled up um to bring about another um <laughs> bathwater <laughs> metaphor uh i could go the route of doing a lot of period blood jokes but i i want to keep it you know relatively uh, this is a family podcast. This is a family podcast. I have a cat next to me, for God's sakes. Um, so, uh, so I think that'll do it for our review of salt, salt burn. I keep wanting to say salt water, uh, salt burn. Uh, overall thoughts. I didn't like it. Mitch, you didn't like it either. I am going to rate no. it two and a half stars out of five. What did, what did you end up rating it? I also gave it two and a half out nice. of five nice uh once again that is on amazon prime starting tomorrow if you're listening to this day of release um i have taken up a lot of your evening so i don't think we're going to do a potpourri section unless you have something passionate you want to bring up a potpourri but if not we can just close out the episode now it's totally up to you um i don't have a i I don't have a ton for potpourri, so okay. I'm, I'm okay either way. Okay, nice. Uh, yeah, we'll forego potpourri, but why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find you online and find all your work and uh, in your social security number and everything. Where is yeah, your sure. salt burn estate? Is. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm still working my way up to the salt mm. burn uh, you know, estate. I have a few more... Um, family members to uh, knock off before that <laughs> happens but um yeah you can find more of my work on midwest film journal like i said i have a uh review of american fiction dropping next week as well as i'm maybe gonna try to squeeze in a top 10 piece i didn't do nice. one last year want to do one this year unfortunately the week that i would do it probably be the last week of december mm-hmm. that's also the week before i leave for hawaii to get married so oh god that's awesome a hawaii wedding nice very nice i know doing it big but uh yeah so like <laughs> we'll just see that could be an insane week for me where i get nothing done in i, terms of I could we'll definitely see. see that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you, you may you may see a top 10 piece uh pop up there either way though but yeah nice um and you can find me on letterboxd at wounded underscore kite nice what's the origin of that username by the way i've always wanted to ask you know what nobody's ever asked me that before oh, but nice. i'll ask you now i i say that sincerely um so that used to be my uh aol instant messenger screen name in eighth grade i think eighth grade i was still using AOL. okay um, it, it was a song by the um, there's a song by the band Pavement. Uh, they're like a 90s kind of slacker rock band. Um, and they have a song called 
Trigger Cut, Wounded Kite at 17 is the name of the song. Okay. And, uh, you know, when I was like 13 or 14 or whatever, <laughs> I was making a screen name and I said Wounded Kite. And nice. I just sort of kept it because it always confused people. Nice. And, um, you know, ever since Wounded Kite. So here it is on record, the origin of Wounded Kite. Awesome. That is... That is, <laughs> and which here, was more interesting, but not really. <laughs> well, no. Here's the thing: we have now sufficiently given more backstory to you than Emerald Fennel gave to Oliver in Saltburn. <laughs> That's right. So All there my we go. Motivations. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mitch, thank you so much for uh, joining me on this uh, episode of the Obsessive Viewer. Um, once again, you can find him on Letterbox Wounded underscore kite um and i'll put links to all of that in the show notes as well and also once again mitch thank you for uh giving me an excuse not to see wonka um so happy to help very very glad for that yeah uh so yeah once again uh patreon i have a uh ifga winners rundown episode that's uh was posted this past monday when you're listening to this and then when you're listening to this on december 21st tomorrow uh i will have my um my uh essay for the uh, hold on to your butts samuel L. jackson essay series on midwest film journal but me writing about unbreakable so that is to come tomorrow if you're listening to this yeah i'm very excited for people to read it uh once again mitch thank you so much for uh joining me i'm gonna start playing us out uh any any last words for the obsessive viewer listeners <laughs> Nope, glad uh, you didn't have to see Wonka. I think if I see that Hugh Grant uh, Oompa Loompa in a trailer one more time, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Same uh, here, same here. (laughs) All right, well, next week we're going to end the year with an IFGA Top 10 Best Films uh, episode. Until then, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Like, the, the flashback scenes are like actual like verifiable facts because it is recorded whereas like other things about the nature of their relationship are things that are said um that are said without without concrete evidence or said by someone who may not have the best best intentions in telling in in um in giving testimony in the case uh, different things like that. Like I, I can see that, like I can understand that that's fine. Um, but I do wish that some elements of the relationship and some elements of it were kind of, uh, explored a little bit deeper if they weren't going to have that flashback, uh, any flashbacks to really flesh it out. Um, in addition to that, this podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.